0: I'm Dina Kimball, and you're listening to Stories from the Candida Fund. In the early 1990s, Diana Blank, my mom, began a remarkable and unconventional philanthropic journey. Blessed with wealth she never envisioned having, she set out to try and help build a more just and equitable world. Diana has always been inspired by a combination of people and planet. How do we honor the very best in ourselves? in our communities and beyond. She invested in transformative leaders and ideas. She experimented, followed her heart and she took chances and she did it all in her own unique way. Now, three decades and more than $1 billion of grant making later, my mom has completed that journey. These are some of the stories of what happened along the way.
1: A note to listeners. The story you're about to hear was recorded in late 2022 and early 2023. On February 3rd, 2023, Microsoft announced that it was indefinitely pausing plans to build a new 90-acre campus in Grove Park, the neighborhood on Atlanta's west side where this episode is set. When Microsoft first announced its plans to build the Grove Park campus nearly a year earlier, The company promised to set aside about 25% of the land for affordable housing and other community projects. In an issued statement from spring 2022, Microsoft said, it is our intent that this project creates wide opportunities and lasting benefits for the community. But in the wake of Microsoft's decision to suspend that commitment, Grove Park's future is now less clear. Its residents will face a different but all too familiar set of challenges. We thought about re-recording this episode or pulling it entirely, in light of the shifting landscape and Grove Park's uncertain path forward. But the fact of the matter is, the underlying message of the story still rings true, especially for our Black neighborhoods. Business decisions change and the politics of economic development constantly shift, but the work required to build a healthy, equitable, and vibrant community will continue thanks to the fearless Grove Park leaders you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. I'm Tanae Traylor, Fund Advisor for the Atlanta Portfolio for the Candida Fund. Born in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here pretty much my whole life. And my focus, um, particularly at the Candida Fund, and I hope for most of my career, has really been around economic and social justice, with an emphasis on making the world a better place for all people. But over the years, I've definitely focused on the progress of Black and Brown communities. Coming into Candida, I set out to do a body of work focused on equity with an emphasis on racial equity for Black communities in the South. So people always ask me what What is equity? What's equity? And my basic response is equity in the abstract is when a person that's experiencing unjust practices, unfair practices, moves to a space where they're experiencing fair and just practices, whether that's access to education, access to employment, access to transportation, access to an affordable home, they have a fair shot at the life they want and the barriers for them have been removed or the, the the barrier to entry has been lowered so they can find an entry point and a pathway to access their dream. That's the work I set out to do, to remove those barriers, to help provide access to folks who are looking for it, which is, to be honest, most people. Atlanta is a home to so much promise and opportunity, but that promise and opportunity has not been extended to everyone. We're home to some of the top Fortune 500 companies. We're also home to the highest income inequality in the country. Some of that inequality is demonstrated in the structure of the city. There's a highway that splits the city apart. It's our railroad track, if you will. And that's the I-20 highway that's here in Atlanta. The north part of that highway is home to some of the highest income and economic mobility options for folks who want to live in this city. And south of that railroad, that interstate of our interstate, is some of the lowest opportunities for economic mobility for our children, for our families, but most specifically for our Black communities that have really built this city. And those residents, I think, have been um, resilient, but they've also been neglected. So. When we think about remedies and solutions, how do we act differently? How do we shine a light on that work? There are a set of neighborhood leaders who are trying to right a historical wrong. Grove Park is one of those communities. Grove Park is a neighborhood that sits west of downtown Atlanta. They are led by a nonprofit organization called the Grove Park Foundation that's committed to connecting the residents there in the midst of so much transition that's happening there to the resources that they've so long asked for. I think it's important to show what healthy revitalization could look like when you center racial equity and the people in that community. So for this episode, I want you to spend the day with Gavin McGuire who leads the Grove Park Foundation on Atlanta's west side.
2: So Gavin McGuire, I serve as the executive director of the Grove Park Foundation. I've uh, been here last week, May one year, my one year anniversary, and I just love serving this great and resilient community.
1: This community, after years of underinvestment from both public and private entities, now has the spotlight shining bright on it. Microsoft is building a 90 acre campus in the community affordable housing is a high need in the community. As you listen to this episode, listen to the pride of the residents in their history. Listen to the leaders and the residents in that community talk about the promise that is now owed to them. Listen to the heartbeat of a neighborhood.
2: So we're driving uh, on the corridors. Donald Lee Hollowell. Uh, Donald Lee Hollowell is actually a civil rights attorney who grew up in the area, and uh, he did a lot of work representing uh, Martin Luther King and a, a lot of other uh, civic icons in Atlanta. Donald Lee Hollowell is a state highway with about 26,000 cars that transport uh, through the city of through Bankhead and through Donnelly Lee Hollowell Grove Park each day uh, on commutes for the culture and uh, for people nationally, they probably would know it as uh, Bankhead Highway. But uh, it was stigmatized with that name, uh, you know, associated with gang activity, with crime, even though, you know, it was a historic community. In the 60s, Bankhead Highway was, uh, and and this Grove Park area in the corridor, was uh, majority white, you know, went through redlining and went through uh, white flight. So like in the 70s and 80s, you know, the population turned. Um, It was also several housing complexes, uh, housing projects, bankhead courts, boring homes, Perry homes that was uh, highly concentrated with African-Americans. The housing, uh, you know, through those developments were built, but not a lot of support around economic development and not a lot of equity in building the services and the things that's required to make a neighborhood whole. So, uh, you know, just this area has been going through a lot of blight uh, over the years and, and a lot of uh, disinvestment and, and, and just lack of resources. But recently, uh, you know, with the announcement of Microsoft uh, coming to Grove Park, uh, you know, some housing developments and other, you know, plans with the city, the community is, is like a dichotomy. You know, the community is excited about the investment, but it's always the question you know, is it the investment for us? Grove Park is so important to the fabric of Atlanta. You know, even the current mayor lived across the Bankhead Corridor, which is, you know, Grove Park, Donnelly Hollowell. And it just produced so many great leaders and so many great, you know, people who are important to the history and the influence of Atlanta. You know, it's a new movement and a a, a t-shirt that you'll see nationally Atlanta influences everything. And, uh, you know, Grove Park and and, and the Donnelly-Hallowell Corridor has been uh, significantly important to that growth and development of Atlanta. And so, you know, this community has been neglected for so long. And, uh, you know, throughout that, they they persevered. And even when you're looking at Microsoft bringing uh, a campus to Atlanta, I think it's due to the... The hard work and the and the equity that and the blood, sweat, and tears of historically people who were in Grove Park to even make it attractive for a, a Fortune 500 company to to even consider uh, you know the 30318 zip code. So you know it's important that the residents get a chance to participate in the new economic boom that all of this new development and, and new attention will bring.
1: Grove Park, I think it's a prideful community. I think it's an artsy community full of creatives. And I think it's just overall full of promise. When I started to work at Candida in 2016, I knew that Grove Park was really primed to demonstrate what equity looked like because they were putting people at the center of the change that they wanted to see. The only challenge I think they had at the time was being in a neighborhood that people had really forgotten about.
2: You know, as we build the future, you know, where we respect the past and people who contributed in the past. And so, you know, that's the, the creative tension that we have in the community. You know, making sure that people understand that, especially our legacy residents, that is equity in the build and equity in the development to say we value you and uh, you have a place within the growth and development. When you look at these uh, this development here, $700,000 and up, and uh, 65% of them have been occupied. That's one of the anxiety points for the community as well because they think that, you know, will this be indicative of what's to come in my neighborhood and will I be priced out or will this bring in things that we can't afford, you know, when you talk about, you know, housing and, and just, you know, supporting legacy residents, that's the challenge, you know, preserving uh, current housing stock, but building housing stock where people can afford. The medium household income in Grove Park is 28000 So just, just juxtaposing that with $700,000 townhomes is, is pretty tough. We're passing the the Bankhead Martyr Station and this is the major transportation node as it relates to public transportation uh, for the community. Uh, In the future, it's gonna be affordable housing built on that site. And so uh, we're excited there. And as we travel on the corridor on Donnelly Hollowell, this is actually uh, where the Microsoft site will be. And so uh, it's 90 acres uh, that they purchased. Uh, We're still coming, Uh, this will be like the main entrance that you see to your right. But uh, with that, you know, uh, 20 to 25 percent of the acres that they bought will be for affordable housing and uh, economic development projects. And so the question when you look at equity, you know, our, our uh, community is saying, you know, what's the opportunities that's going to be afforded to us in that move? And so working with Microsoft and through the Grow Park Foundation, you know, we're working through financial capability programs, support to entrepreneurs and support to small businesses to make sure that they're ready for those opportunities. And even when you talk long-term about those opportunities, you can't forget the youth. And so uh, when we talk about how do we prepare and how do we you know, work to, to build agency and build uh, the skills and the tool sets that the, the youth need to be ready for the rising tides in our community. We also uh, built through the foundation and through community support and and funding support in the city, we built uh, a YMCA Early Learning Center. So there's about 100 students uh, at the YMCA Learning Center and it's connected to the right, a, a, a community clinic. So you're eliminating the transportation barrier, but you're also helping to mitigate the disruption of the school day where parents can go there, and then you know the kid can immediately go back to school. Where it's not a thing of uh, transportation or you know being too far removed from you know from your home or from the school. As we're driving, um, you know you'll see you know the homes. Uh, Nineteen twenty uh, was when a lot of these homes were built. You know about twenty percent vacant homes. Um, you know about twenty. 20 to 30 percent rentals a lot of seniors in the area and legacy residents and um, you know through the foundation you know I saw number one priority is how do we mitigate displacement and disruption for the legacy residents you know when you look at the landscape of Atlanta and um, you know looking at Metro Atlanta it's a lot of anxiety overall you know even beyond Grove Park for uh, affordable housing and, and people you know, feeling the push of taxes going up, uh, home prices going up and feeling like, you know, the Atlanta that they grew up in, you know, may not be the same Atlanta in 10 or 20 years. And and not even just the the perception of Atlanta or the image of Atlanta, but even wrestling with, will they be in Atlanta? And so, you know, that's the conversation of the day. And, you know, the thing even me as the leader of the Grove Park Foundation that I, wrestle with is how do you know we continue to up the housing stock but more importantly how do we make it affordable and attainable to all so equity is not just jobs and just housing but it's just you know quality of life and and, and parks and green spaces and, and and just a comprehensive list of, of, of all that affect you know people's uh, livelihoods
1: equity racial equity is not a static approach to community change, or to the work that we're trying to to lift up. It's a comprehensive, inclusive strategy for how you look at people, build the lives that they intend to live. And so that means putting people at the center of the changes so they can be a part of, to be honest, dictating what that change can look like.
2: The good thing about Grove Park, It's the agency of the people, the neighborhood association of Grove Park, the uh, neighborhood planning unit, uh, the different nonprofit partners. You know, we work collectively together and, uh, you know, work in collaboration and concert to to serve the residents. So we don't do anything for the residents. We do it in concert with the residents. And so, you know, I think that's the reason why Grove Park has been uh, able to, have so much uh impact and support with the with the community but also it, it took early adopters to support our work and that's why uh you know when you talk about candida foundation and just their courage to uh be on the front end of supporting grove park and supporting uh, the Grove park residents you know it, it, it was almost a catalyst for others to join and to support and candida you know supported when uh we were at the ground floor, you know, of the foundation. And when, uh, you know, it was always great people working in Grove Park, but uh, Candida almost served as a conduit to bring people who are working together, especially from the nonprofit space and from the civic space, to come together to, to think even more thoughtful on how we can work together and support the residents. So a lot of the uh, projects that, that, that you see as we go around Grove Park, uh, you know our housing, pro- uh, housing uh, initiatives that you'll see in the units that we were able to build, the uh, economic development work that we're doing was uh, directly correlated to the, the the funding provided by Candida, but also the technical assistance and the technical support that we received from Candida. So uh, now we're we're going to meet Derek uh, Green. He uh, leads the Historic Dixie Hill CDC. Uh, a huge community advocate in the Grove Park area and beyond, but also a good good historian, Uh, you know, knows the history of Atlanta and just a passionate uh, and strong civic leader. And so uh, we're meeting uh, Derek now.
3: Well, I'm I'm Derek Green. I am the CEO of Historic Hills Community Development Corp. I'm um, community advocate, for lack of a better word. Current vice chair of what we call here in Atlanta MPUJ uh, with, with the MPU system, and I have other um, titles, but those are the ones I guess remain for today. Right now, we're in Anderson Park, which is which sits roughly in the center of um, both Dixie Hills and our neighboring community, Penelope Neighbors, which are the communities directly south of Grove Park.
1: Atlanta is home to almost 250 unique neighborhoods. And those neighborhoods are divided into neighborhood planning units called NPUs. NPUs were developed under Atlanta's first black mayor, Maynard Jackson, in the mid 70s. Grove Park is in what is called NPUJ, the letter J, along with five other neighborhoods.
3: Yeah, Anderson Park is historic, but often overlooked. Um, It's roughly about 60 acres. And so you notice it's really like a nature field here. Uh, We have this big oak tree right here in the middle of the playground. Um, and, And we're roughly still three miles from downtown. There are all kinds of species of insects. Uh, sometimes mammals, <laughs> I guess. But this school across from us is, is very important to Georgia and American history because the first two, first three, actually, persons who integrated the University of Georgia graduated from this school. And that's Dr. Hamilton E. Holmes, who has a street to the west of us that's named after him. Um, Charlene Hunter-Gault, who, was, who became a um, journalist, world-renowned journalist. And later in graduate school, Dr. Francis Early, who has the School of Education at University of Georgia named after her. They were all three graduates of Henry McNeil Turner High School uh, here in Dixie Hills. And this community, although it's called Dixie Hills, is kind of interesting because it's almost oxymoronic for at least the last century uh, that we can tell it's been inhabited mostly by African-Americans. And so, um, this is one of the communities that border Grove Park that's alpha and overlooked. Um, if you look on a map, South Grove Park, a lot of those older residents consider that to be Dixie Hills as well. Now the city has that classified as Grove Park. And, and, and so some of that probably, you know, now kind of tracing back some of the history, there is no direct road from current, most of the other Grove Park areas that connects to that section of Grove Park. And really because of segregation. And and so that's probably why they consider themselves Dixie Hears, because in Dixie Hears, at least they had a voice. And so that's, you know, it's one of the many um, contrarian or, I don't know, obstacles sometimes. or things that people really don't understand about how these areas developed, how, how people had, you know, had to use their voice or even had a voice or what who they connect to because of even civil design, for lack of a better word. Many, many years ago, I would say, as far as I researched, early 1900s, most of Grove Park and Center Hill, of course, were designed as white areas. I have an interview uh, I did earlier this year with a uh, former resident who grew up in the community. And she even said things like um, the Dixie Hill School, which was opened by the WPA. Works Parkers Administration of, of Roosevelt in the late 30s, and that's when it kind of comes online in the records. Uh, this The community had to get together to, you know, the, the mothers to cook their food for lunch because food kind of wouldn't provide food. Um, she talked about how Grove Park and Center Hill already had, you know, electric electricity. Um, they had gas lines way earlier. Um, they had there is even, um, in this area, and you're driven around now, so again, we're three miles roughly to the rest of downtown Atlanta, and although it was unincorporated for the county until 1952, uh, all of us were annexed into Atlanta at that time. This area still had well water. I mean, not as a secondary source, but as the primary source of water for this community. We have newspaper articles that show that. Um, and we even have residents that remember where the wells Where We're we actually are trying to map those out as part of a historical research. But there were wells still for um, drawing water for daily living as early as the early 50s. And that's, my, my mother was born in 1954 perspective. And so um, I'm not even 50 years old yet. Um, in fact, when they built this park in 19, this park opened May 1st, 1950, as a Negro park, this was the last tap-in for a city of Atlanta, water. There are stories of the church, which my great grandfather at that time was pastor, having to run, get all the neighbors together to run water hoses from the water tap in in the uh, park to the church, which is about probably 300 yards, to fill up the baptism pool. So we talk about those disparities. It's generational uh, disinvestment. And so you bring that forward, even, let's say, roughly 10, 12 years from that point, which is the early 50s to the early 60s, if you look at old redlining maps or maps on real estate activity in Atlanta, they'll show Grove Park at that time becoming endangered, or I forget the exact term, but there's a term that refers to the fact that um, it's not an area anymore for investment. So one of the things that's clear, that, that is obvious to the historical research and then what we talk about with gentrification currently is that investment moves with white population, ex- either expansion or, or or depopulation. So how do you bring equity to, equity to those situations, even connectivity, because remember, when you have disinvestment in those infrastructure, when you have disinvestment in homes, you have disinvestment in business, you have di- all this disinvestment, how do you bring equity to people who have never had even an opportunity through those 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 um, tools that are common to the American um, story, which is real estate. Well, when you had this investment, you had devaluation. That was tied to the first devaluation of black ownership. Black ownership automatically devalued your property. It was automatically endangered. It was automatically not worth as much. You know, my grandfather's house is a mile from here. Roughly 1,900 square feet. That same brick, all brick house, built in the early 60s, finishing, he got pictures, had it built in 1964. Today, his house is still two to three times worth less than the house, the comparable house, three miles away, two miles away. Why does that matter? Well, it was devalued at first because of segregation. It was devalued at first because of income access. It was devalued because the FHA and the governmental systems that's used to uplift real estate, were not a part of that the options at that time. So all those things devalued those properties, then he was devalued his lifetime because of that same disinvestment of desegregation, then those effects of it, you way know, consequences of. And why does that matter? Because, I mean, his children and grandchildren, don't get the benefit of the same degree of cultural wealth as those who had that same advantage of investment. and. Where are the systems in place to bring some form of equity to that?
1: The challenges of yesterday drive the challenges of today and to me that speaks to broken promises. It speaks to hopes and dreams and broken promises and what our responsibility is to bridge that. I'm so glad you had an opportunity to ride around the neighborhood with Gavin and learning about the impact of the Grove Park Foundation and what they are doing and seeing the issues that they're facing within the community. I'm also overjoyed that Derek Green provided this historical context for us to really give us a, a understanding of why this neighborhood has been so important for so long. And now we'll hear from just another great person in this community, Taryn Bell. It's important to know the history of a neighborhood. It's also important to understand where the neighborhood or where a community is going. And Grove Park, like many other places, it's not static, it's moving, it's progressing. And not just with legacy residents with new folks with new voices but they all have the not all but some have a commitment to the richness of a neighborhood so Taryn is the center hill neighborhood association president she's big on corporate responsibility and making sure that development is actually equitable for residents and she moved to this community as an adult, she didn't grow up there, and that's why her voice, her understanding of this neighborhood is so critical to the future, not just Grove Park, but Atlanta.
4: My name is Taryn Bell. I'm the president of the Center Hill Neighborhood Association and resident here on the West Side. My son, Kingston Ali, he's looking so bored. <laughs> he's looking so bored, but yes, this is my my sidekick. So right now, we are walking in Center Hill Park, but we are on the other side of the park. The park kinda splits into These trees separate, I guess we can say, the Center Hill and the Grove Park side. Um, so I wanted to buy in the city of Atlanta. Um, I formerly resided in Decatur. Um, and I wanted to live in the city of Atlanta, and I can't really explain to you what pulled me to Atlanta. It was almost spiritual. I don't know. It was, it's really weird. It was like, have I been here before? You know, in in that sense. Um, but I just was really drawn to the city of Atlanta, the culture, um, the people, and so I wanted my son to. First of all, I knew the growth and development that was taking place in the city and i wanted my son ultimately to have a stake in that and so um we purchased in october 2020 my mom and i in center hill and um you know 20 years from now i want my my son to be able to say this is our family house when um my mom and i were looking to buy she was perfectly fine with being in the suburbs but like i said i wanted to be in the city of atlanta and what i one thing i kept saying to her is we have to be on the other side of gentrification because again i knew what was taking place in this area and um oftentimes with african-americans specifically the experience in terms of gentrification is being displaced one way or another um if it's because the house you're renting is sold if it's because property taxes increase so much you can no longer uh, afford your your property taxes one way or another african americans when it comes to gentrification typically experience displacement and um i just you know I, i want to push for a different narrative with that um and so again when you have the framework about purchasing. And when you look at real estate as a whole, real estate is all about timing. Um, Of course, you have to have uh, capital. Capital has to be leveraged in some way, but timing is critical. Um, And so now's the time. (laughs) Now's the time to get in. Now's the time to buy in terms of gentrification and kind of flipping the script. You know, I'm a big, a huge advocate of that um, for African-Americans, kind of taking what's been weaponized and flipping the script, you know, using whatever the whatever the matrix, the matrix is, using it for our advantage. I think obviously one of the fears, one of the major fears of residents is this development that's taking place who is it going to serve who is it going to benefit and will we be able to afford to live here still you know so we're fighting for it i'll say that um you know everyone's mindset is you know when the techies come is that going to push everyone out so that's a major fear you know Well, so Microsoft, uh, they purchased 90 acres here on the west side uh, along the donnelly Hollowell Corridor um, or within the donnelly Hollowell Corridor and um, they are building a new campus. Uh, We don't have any dates, but they're building their Grove Park campus. Um, There are a lot of unknowns and and you also have to, from a historical context in terms of um, in terms of African-Americans and maintaining their land, their land not being taken from them, you know, them not being pushed out like this. This is not a narrative that's been cooked up in someone's head. Like this is uh, these are things that have actually happened consistently um, in one way or another. And so, you know, people are scared. That's that's the immediate reaction. People are scared you know, will I still be able to afford here? What afford to live here? What is this neighborhood going to look like? Um, how is this neighborhood going to change? And are the changes going to benefit me or are the changes going to not benefit me? Am I essentially going to be, and these are the thoughts of of many residents, am I going to be kind of an outcast in my own community? Um, um, I know you visited the Grove Park foundation. Uh, I know you spoke with Gavin. They're doing a great deal as a whole, the foundation as a whole to really just, okay, this is what's coming. How can we prepare ourselves and, and what can we do to benefit, um, from re- from, from new, from the resources we have now, um, in preparation for what's to come. Um, uh, One of the most important things to really understand about this community is that people are together. Residents here are together. Residents here are working together. Residents here are working together for change. Residents here are united, um, you know, six neighborhoods, one community.
1: The people of Grove Park represent all of us. They want to be a part of the change. They want to see progress, but they want to benefit from it. They don't want to visit their progress. They don't want to visit the change. They want to be part of it. They want to reap the benefits of it. They want to reap the benefits of a new park that's built on the backs of slave labor. They want to afford the housing that is built around them that's safe and healthy. They want to enjoy the health clinic so they can thrive. So I think that's what they want. I think that's what I want for them. It's for them to reap the benefits of all of this change. And I want us all to be committed to that.
0: Thank you for listening. This project was produced by Maddie Foley, Adesawa Agbenayal, and Alessandra Tejeda, with production help from Chelsea Daniel for Wonder Media Network. Editing by Emily Rutter and Liz Smith. Original music by Chelsea Daniel. Our executive producers were David Brotherton and Dina Kimball.